actually we've got a really good opportunity to get people out of cars, to make public transport a good and sustainable alternative. And people are going to be attracted if they know that the vehicle they're traveling on is producing no emissions. In mm. fact, all it's producing is, is water. Welcome to Calling All Stations, the transport podcast. I'm Christian Walmart, an author and journalist who has covered transport for the past 30 years. In every episode, we try to keep you up to date with the most engaging news stories, policy developments, and interviews in the transport world. And with me is my regular co-presenter, Mark Walker, who has spent decades looking at transport policies and legislation. So, Mark, what are we covering today? Hello, Christian, and hello to our listeners. In this episode, you'll be looking at the introduction of hydrogen-powered buses by operator Metrobus with the support of Surrey County Council. We'll also be taking a look at the report by the House of Commons Public Accounts Committee into the implications of the cancellation of the northern sections of HS2. Loyal listeners will then get an update on where you are with the latest Christian Walmart book, The Liberation Line. And finally, you'll be reflecting on the demise of Hyperloop. So, Christian, tell us all about your trip to learn everything there is to know about hydrogen buses. Well, uh, this was a, a very interesting uh, trip because uh, I happened to be talking to somebody who told me about uh, this development that actually uh, Metrobus, which is uh, part of the Go Ahead group, uh, are actually uh, pioneering the idea of hydrogen buses and they've uh, got the, the biggest fleet in the country so far. So they originally got 20 buses with the help of a government scheme to uh, support hydrogen buses. And uh, now uh, they've teamed up with uh, Surrey County Council, who are paying for a third of 34 buses because uh, Surrey is actually very conscious of uh, the uh, emphasis on cars in the uh, county and the fact that uh, you know, they have a lot of uh, a poor air due to the emissions from vehicles. Of course, they got a chunk of the M25 going through there. So uh, this is a, a really interesting uh, development because I've been fairly sceptical about uh, hydrogen uh, buses. So uh, anyway, I started off by talking to uh, Ed Willis, who's the managing director of uh, Metrobus, uh, along with uh, Matt Furness, who's the conservative uh, councillor and cabinet member for Highways, Transport and Economic Growth, who is uh, behind the scheme to get a further 34 buses. And I started off by uh, really being given a, a technical briefing by Ed. Uh, so in what way is this um, different from an ordinary bus? So it's um, powered entirely by hydrogen. Right. Um, so obviously in a conventional diesel bus, you'll have the, the engine. With this, uh, we use a hydrogen fuel cell to provide the power to propel um, the vehicle. And we've right. ensured that all the customers on the bus can get information about exactly <laughs> how the process works. Yes, there's so, lots, of, lots of information here, battery pack and all that. So, so briefly explain to me how, how it works as opposed to a diesel engine. So, um, in effect, the, the, um, the hydrogen from the tanks are yeah. delivered into the fuel cell. Right. Um, that then generates the um, the chemical reaction, um, resulting in the power generation that will turn the uh, electric drivetrain. The chemical so, reaction being 
H2O, I mean, creation of water. No. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So, so the yeah. only emissions from yeah. this vehicle yeah. is water vapour at the right. tailpipe or from a steam from a vent at the top of the vehicle. Right. So you will either get steam and, well, you'll get a combination of both. Steam venting from the top and water from the exhaust at the rear. Right. So instead of having the, the emissions you would see from a diesel vehicle, you have uh, water vapour um, coming out of the exhaust system. And this is all happens on the roof, does it? Everything is on the roof, it seems. So the, the tailpipe and the roof. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so the magic happens on the roof. Right. The um, fuel cell is up there. Yes. Yeah. Ah, the the fuel right. cell, uh, the the gas storage tanks are all on the roof. And what this means is that the vehicle. So on a diesel bus, you'd have the the steps up to the back, and you'd yeah. have the the engine over there. Yes. Yeah. The engine right. at the rear. Right. And so here, the vehicle's actually got a lot more headspace. It's got a lot right. more room at the back. It's a lot more open. Right. Because everything's on the roof. Right. So when we maintain the vehicles, we will drive it into a, a, a gantry where our engineers will then open the uh, the access flaps from the roof and work <laughs> on the right. roof. It's not like only the bonnet at the front, right, down below, they open the top. Right, yeah, so yeah. it's so completely different. If you, right. if you access what would have been your traditional bonnet at the rear, there's not a lot there now, actually. Right. In fact, as you can see, the, the bus is almost flat to the back. Yes, I can see the seats. the seats at the back are kind of um, the best seats in the house, as it were, yes. <laughs> okay, so, uh, and how is this, uh, how how do you then get the fuel into the, uh, where, where, how do you get the hydrogen in? So what we have on site here is the, the UK's first liquid hydrogen refuelling station. And we're still working through the, the final regulatory approvals to get it up and running. But at the moment, we have a, um, a tanker delivered with the hydrogen gas. They connect it into the system and that will deliver the hydrogen through these set of pipes to one of the three dispensing terminals we have here. Right, I can see a set of pipes outside, uh, running parallel to the railway, as it were, as it happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it comes, the hydrogen, this is hydrogen in those pipes. Correct, yeah, yeah. Um, the hydrogen will come through onto yeah. these dispensing stations. Right. And a bit like a... Um, a you know your, your your fuel pumps of old we've got um hydrogen dispensers so that will then connect into the vehicle and, and perhaps if we go outside i can show you the dispenser itself right it's also worth mentioning the bus has regenerative right. braking so that means that the kinetic energy from braking gets stored in the battery right. and creates more energy Right. Hi Chris. Okay. Oh, so, there you go. She told you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hi there. So uh, we're now outside the bus, and uh, there's a series of uh, uh, dispensers that uh, are basically slightly like a uh, petrol pump, uh, which have uh, uh, rubber hose connectors, uh, which are then put the hydrogen directly into the bus and uh, up at the top of the roof or is it down here um so it's a little flat there oh right just getting a key to open it right um so what will happen here is we will put the connector on and that is an infrared sensor so they put in they connect on and then it will establish communications with the vehicle right so the vehicle and the fueling island will communicate with each other just make sure that goes back in there there we go so when the when the um, the refueling nozzle is connected, the the um, system communicates with each other and says the bus will say I've got this much gas left in. Right. Um, so 
please um, please double check that that is that is what you can see because it's, this is under pressure and then that will communicate with the fuel island and say yep we can understand that we can receive and then it will um, there's some lights on here red amber and green when it turns green it will allow the, um, the refueling to commence right uh, okay and what is the temperature of the hydrogen? It's obviously not at minus 270 or something. It's not liquid, is it? No. So, no. the and we can talk you through the refueling station. Right. The the liquid hydrogen goes through some vaporizer towers and will naturally heat up and turn back into a gas. So we are putting gas at a high pressure yeah. into these vehicles, which right. means that we can achieve a, a, a very quick filling speed compared say with charging electric bus overnight which right. might take a number of hours we can yes. refill a hydrogen in bus eight, in eight minutes about eight minutes if, oh, if right. it's fully empty so yeah so it goes in and it just takes eight minutes to to fill up yeah yeah so so it, it, it is literally there it will be connected and as you connect it will say it will illuminate and it will, it will um go through the red amber green when it's on green and it's it establish the communications right. with the vehicle it will then um, allow you to commence the filling process right. and we have someone with the vehicle so we have to have someone with the vehicle to um, supervise it but they don't really need to do anything so once it's connected the person just needs to supervise it but they don't actually need to do anything and right. the vehicle and the uh, refilling station will communicate with each other and it will say um, right I've got enough bar I've got enough pressure I've got enough right. hydrogen on board and then it will cut off Right, and uh, obviously you don't want leaks of this stuff. I mean, how, how how are we preventing leaks? Here? Presumably it's kind of very safe. Extremely safe. Right. Um, anytime we touch the vehicle, yeah. we all wear hydrogen protective uh, gear uh, measures on right. us. If we're working um, on the hydrogen part itself to do a service, we'll use a basically a wand. It's a hydrogen wand, so we'll check over it. That, the there's system. no if, there, if there's any drops yeah. that we can see that's what we, we use the hydrogen wand right. to find out where the leak is but yeah. everything's up on the top of the right roof. i mean of course hydrogen isn't actually a, a dangerous gas of itself is it or is it it's it's flammable it's flammable uh, it's very flammable it's, yes it's 14 times lighter than air so right it, if you get a leak yes it just gonna, goes straight it's up it's going to go straight up right so and if it was flammable chance, it would charge yeah. much. Right. And, and everything is is vented so actually if there were an issue the hydrogen would vent so right. if if uh and and it's very rare anyway but yeah. there has been sort of you know in my time i've i've been involved in uh, a diesel bus uh catching fire yeah. which we call a thermal incident and everything else and, and from a hydrogen thing the gas will go almost instantaneously so right. you know unlike unlike say diesel or electric the yeah. energy's there on the vehicle right. the hydrogen bus thing the gas can go very quickly if we had to vent it right and when and and because of the energy density it's yeah. a lot similar to diesel right so we can store a similar volume that would be able to power a similar number of vehicles when the hydrogen is needed it will go through these vaporizer blocks right um, and it will naturally heat the liquid hydrogen up in and it will return to a gas it is then fed through the system at a, oh so it comes in as liquid hydrogen yes which means which is minus 240 right <laughs> right um, okay. but but that means yeah. we get the energy density right. more equivalent to diesel right. so it's more efficient we will need less deliveries and we can um fill more vehicles right. so it is a much more efficient way to deliver the gas onto the site so but at the moment how do you get it in at the moment so 
until we've got this site fully operational, yeah. Yeah. we have a um, temporary gas supply delivered. So we will have a big, um, a big um, dispensing uh, unit here, trailer yeah. filled with gas. Oh right. So you're not using this new facility. At the moment, we're just bypassing. Right. Okay. But you will do. Yeah. Okay. So we're working with the HSC um, just to. Um, sort of ensure that they're fully comfortable with how we work that and they fully understand sort of the implications of having liquid hydrogen on, the, on our site. So after we uh, looked at the buses, we went back to the offices of uh, Metrobus where I had a chat with uh, Ed and Matt, particularly finding out about the origins of the fact that Surrey were introducing these uh, 34 uh, new uh, hydrogen buses and indeed uh, looking at the background to what is undoubtedly a pioneering scheme. I'm talking to uh, Ed Willis, Managing Director of uh, Brighton and & Hove and Metrobus, um, and also to Matt Furness, who's the Cabinet Member for Highways, Transport and Economic Growth at Surrey County Council, which was the originator of this uh, project for uh, hydrogen buses. So uh, starting with you, Matt, just tell me how this project came about and how you know Surrey's ended up being the biggest operator of hydrogen buses in the country? Well actually it's it pretty much it was a joint, it was a joint right. um, uh, bid that we put together. So it started with Surrey uh, with our climate decoration, um, sort of 42% of our carbon yeah. comes from transport. Right. So that, that was the, it's more than double of, of what sort of national average is. Right. Uh, we are a rural county. It is a challenge to get around yes. Surrey uh, on public transport. So our big focus was really investing in buses. Right. Uh, we put aside uh, 50 million pounds of, of our own capital. This is your money? Yes. Not, Surrey County not Council. state money, right. No. Surrey right. County Council, we put that uh, 50 right. million aside. Uh, and we purchased uh, with Metrobus uh, 34 uh, buses to add to their fleet of uh, 20. Right. Uh, buses. So uh, it's a good good chunk of cash. Oh, right. So you didn't do the first 20? The first 20? First, yeah, the first... Uh, 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 yeah. yeah, the first 20 were funded um, uh, with a partnership through um, the Department for Transport under their ultra-low emission bus fund. Right. Um, the Jive partnership, which is an EU partnership of um, different participating hydrogen operators. Uh, I did see it has a little label saying uh, sponsored by the EU. <laughs> <laughs> is that allowed? <laughs> they still perhaps sneak in somewhere. Um, and there was also a small contribution from Gatwick Airport as well into right. the original um, 20. So it's, it's been a bit of partnership funding and we put in the um the equivalent of what would have been the traditional diesel bus price so the first one was a consortium of, of different partners and then for the 34 that we've now got an order um that's the partnership we've got with surrey where they're they're funding it as part of their sort of climate emergency and commitment to reducing emissions oh right so so uh matt you saw this kind of project happening and then decided to uh to to, to camp in on it basically because uh, obviously this is Sussex and you're Surrey. <laughs> That's right. Um, I mean, Metrobus operate a, a lot of the routes in the east of the county. Right. Um, so being one of our, our biggest partners, uh, that's why yes we we joined well joined forces we we provided the cash it's uh, in order for them um, operators to either go electric fully electric or, or for hydrogen uh, the prices just increased dramatically over a standard diesel bus so right. that's why we set aside this fund. Can, can you give any ideas of what the extra cost is i mean 
of, of uh, it is uh, it is almost um, double now to look at either an electric, a fully electric bus, or a hydrogen bus. Right, the purchase the, price is double, or the, the, yes, double the cost of a diesel. So for right. a, for a diesel um, uh, double decker, we might be looking at around two hundred and eighty thousand, and for the equivalent um, in electric and or hydrogen, they're nearly um, five hundred thousand. Wow. Okay. So how how do you make up that uh, amount? Is that the county council make supporting that or or, or what? Well, in the case of the thirty four vehicles we're in part of Surrey, Surrey yeah. has has funded the whole vehicle. Right. And we're funding the additional infrastructure. Um, but then um, looking forwards, the the government is looking at a, a zebra two scheme that we haven't heard the outcomes of at the moment. So there's a different partners need to put in different funding amounts to help make up the cost of buying those vehicles. And that's where the DFT scheme will support in the purchase of the vehicles. Okay. And what about in terms of running costs? I mean, obviously, uh, you don't have to pay fuel tax, but uh, uh, hydrogen is quite expensive, as I understand it. Yeah. So the hydrogen supply chain is not as mature yet as um, you would find with, say, diesel. So there is a lot of work to do there. And at the moment, that means that the unit cost of hydrogen is higher than diesel because of the demand difference. But we're confident that the, the, the unit cost of hydrogen will come down. And we've been and we've partnered with Air Products, who are a huge global supplier of um, gases um, and who are investing in the hydrogen economy in the UK. So we're confident that we can get parity over time with the price of diesel as part of this partnership, particularly as we gear up the volume of hydrogen that we're using. Right. So it would the running cost would be the same and the capital cost would be double. The fuel cost, we are right. hopeful we'll get the same. Yes. Right, okay. Um, and uh, in, in terms of um, uh, you know, introducing a completely new form of uh, bus, I mean, ha- presumably there's been quite a lot of associated costs and difficulties? We've had to upgrade the infrastructure of the depot so right. that it um, is... Uh, uh, com- compliant with the standards that we need to maintain hydrogen vehicles so we've had to do a level of upgrading at the depot and obviously because these are the first vehicles of their type the single deck right bus manufactured vehicles but manufactured by right bus in northern ireland yes correct yeah they're produced in um, ballymena in northern ireland so it's sort of their proprietary technology um we've had to work very closely with them to get the vehicles to um perform at the level we need and in fact we've been very pleased with the results that we've seen so far in terms of um, when they're operating, they've actually proven to be quite reliable out on the road. And we're getting the range and we're getting the daily performance that we need. But you, you presumably have to train a bunch of guys to maintain and operate these, very different from diesel engines, as we were, you were explaining. So the drivetrain is different, the right. hydrogen um, drivetrain, but yeah. a lot of the braking systems and a lot of the other systems on the bus are like a, um, a conventional vehicle. Um, it's, 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 but we have had to do a lot of upskilling to make people understand the hydrogen technology and rights have been supporting us in training up new skills. But that's providing us with an opportunity of providing new skills and investing in new skills for the future. And, uh, and it's got regenerative braking, as I understand it. Yes, yeah. Um, so, which is unusual on a vehicle like that, yes. But, yeah, so how so, does that work? So the driving style of our, um, of our drivers when behind the wheel will have a big influence on the amount of fuel we use. So we've had to do a lot of retraining, a lot of re-education, that when they're driving, to drive in a much more fluid manner, to, and of course our drivers are already planning ahead, but to think about how they're driving, to plan ahead, to think about when they're braking. 
because if they drive in a more smooth and controlled manner and there's a little on the dash it will go into red or green depending on whether or not they're generating energy or using energy right so if they drive at a at a, at a very careful pace they can actually significantly reduce the amount of fuel they're using so just just uh, i mean i saw the the fuel cell just Tell me how a fuel cell works in, in kind of three sentences or something. So, so you get the hydrogen, and what happens to the hydrogen? The hydrogen will go into the fuel cell, and that will generate some energy. That, in turn, will power the... So there is still a proportion of batteries on the vehicles. That then powers the batteries, and it provides power to the batteries, that, in turn, will power the electric drivetrain. So the hydrogen is used... to continually top up the batteries on the vehicles that in turn power the drivetrain and mean that we get significantly more range than a um, than a fully electric vehicle that can only rely on the power that's in the batteries at the start of the day or whenever there's opportune charging. So we've already seen from 37 kilograms of hydrogen, which is the tank capacity, ranges of upwards of 500 miles. Which is incredible. So, do, do you then charge up the batteries overnight as well? No, there's no need no. to charge the batteries. The batteries are charged from the from the from the hydrogen. Right? Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm slightly with it. So so Matt, is it? I mean, is this genuinely more sustainable? I mean, is it actually kind of reducing CO two emissions and whatever? Absolutely, and Air Products committed to only using uh, green hydrogen as well. Um, so that, that comes from right. Well, I was just going to maybe you could explain what that means. Uh, there's, there's very you can produce hydrogen from a number of sources, yeah. but uh, green hydrogen is, is the most sustainable because it comes from uh, effectively food waste. It's biomass gas, which is then converted into into hydrogen. Um, so I mean, ideally, if we were looking sort of full chain, we would be looking at using our own recycling facilities within Surrey to be producing our own hydrogen. Right. I mean, one day, I hope so, we can get there, right. uh, but at the moment it, it, it is imported because we don't have a, a hydrogen plant in the UK, and that's something that we are sort of pushing government to, to really look at investing in. Isn't there another way of getting green hydrogen, which is the kind of excess uh, electricity that uh, a wind turbine would produce, and then you use that electricity to, to produce uh, hydrogen? Is that not another kind of form of green? There, there, are, there are a number of ways right. that you can do it. Right. Uh, it goes all the way from uh, grey, which we we absolutely do not want, which comes from fossil fuels. Right. Uh, a blue, which involves uh, these water, and then green is is effectively from bio biomass. Right. Okay. So, uh, and obviously, in terms of uh, the emissions uh, around Surrey, that is much more sustainable. Absolutely. Yes. So, I mean, we've we've got twenty one bus operators in Surrey, which is is, is quite a few compared <laughs> with uh, a lot of other areas, which is great actually. And we've got right. we've got Metro Bus, uh, which we, we we're starting with this, um, and it's really just to say to all of our bus operators, this money is there available for you to make that conversion um, over to uh, effectively low emission or, or zero emission vehicles. Um, twenty five million passenger journeys happen happen in Surrey. Right. So actually, it's it's a really buoyant market. It came back really well yeah. after the pandemic, uh, un unlike a lot of areas. But it only works if we've got great partners and we can put the cash in to say we'll improve right. the bus infrastructure, we'll improve the real time information, and we will help you make that transition to uh, low or zero emission buses. So, so have have the passengers noted no, noticed this, and you know have have you had reactions from the passengers? It's a head turner. 
people like, stop oh, really? and look and they right. are um, delighted when they think the buses are quieter because there's no engine. Mm -hmm. They are more pleasant to, to travel on. It is a noticeable step change. And we've engaged with, with young people like we've never done before. There is a huge interest in the technology. In fact, the local school sent a, I could almost call it a delegation to come and see us right. at the launch because they're so interested in it. And uh, presumably these buses are fitted with uh, chargers for mobile telephones and that sort of stuff. So they're, they're modern, they're kind of, you know. Yeah, uh, so we've got USB chargers on board. Yes. So yeah, we've put as many functions in to, to give people a good traveling experience. Okay, I mean, more widely, Ed, I mean, the, you know, the bus market has suffered. There's many routes are being cut back. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's real problems. I mean, we, the two pounds uh, maximum fare has kind of obviously helped numbers, but um, I mean, do you see this as, as the bus industry being able to afford this sort of initiative, given that, you know, it is more costly and the bus industry is, you know, facing something of a crisis with a number of routes being cut back? So we have cut nothing right. and we are looking to grow. And in partnership with Surrey, they have not been looking to cut anything. And in fact, we, we see a real need to increase the level of service. So other parts of the country may not be... Um, so we're fortunate forward thinking but we've got a real buoyant market in in this part of the world and actually we need to put more service out we work really closely with Surrey and all of the routes that we operate are seeing growth and actually we need to think about how we increase the level of service to cope with the demand that's out there and it's, it's brilliant to work with a council like Surrey that is forward thinking in terms of getting more bums on seats. So, so Matt you see this possibly as a way of encouraging more bus routes, do you? Absolutely, yes. I mean, as, as I said, we have not cut bus routes, whereas uh, other areas of the country have done. In fact, actually, we put more money into our bus budget uh, because we see this as the, the real way of getting people out of their cars and onto public transport. And one thing I didn't say about the, the hydrogen buses, and you might notice it as a passenger, is how smooth and quiet they are. You don't get the usual rattle that you right. do from a, from a diesel bus, and it's actually it's a, a very pleasant journey uh, experience. So we, we're really sort of... Um, Pushing buses, we, they're not as controversial as uh, cycling schemes can be, uh, particularly around uh, in areas, but we do realise because of the volume of passenger journeys that we can achieve, actually by improving that, extending the hours, extending the number of trips, uh, and then we complement it with our, our on-demand service where uh, it's not commercially viable to, to run a bus. Right. Um, we're really seeing people are embracing the, these, these new options. So, so do you envisage a, a, a point when you know, most of your buses will be, uh, will be hydrogen? Hydrogen or electric, yes. Right. We, we, we're not dictating to the operators what they should use, right. uh, but we're saying we will fund the difference or, or outright uh, the the replacement, but buses. that's okay with a big company like Metrobus. Can you do it with the smaller operators? We can do it with both. That's right. absolutely fine. But I think the, the key thing is if we can start with Metrobus and others, then as the the hydrogen vehicles then start to cascade through the system, that's the important bit. It's right. making them more available uh, and uh, more affordable as well. And of course, the bigger operators can initially help to invest and afford it. But as the supply chains improve, mm. as the number of vehicles change, then it will help other operators transition away. And we're doing this because it's the right thing to do. And actually, um, th there may be sort of tales of, of what about sort of bus industry decline. We don't see that. We see growth. We see opportunity. And actually, we see a really good market ahead. If we've got 
local authorities that are willing to sort of make a step change in what they're doing, actually we've got a really good opportunity to get people out of cars, to make public transport a good and sustainable alternative. And people are going to be attracted if they know that the vehicle they're travelling on is producing no emissions. In mm. fact, all it's producing is, is water. And at the moment, we've certainly got a lot of water around. On a rainy day in Crawley. So, OK, last point then, uh, Ed, which you uh, uh, um, partly answered there. You think this is upscalable? You, you think that other bus companies can do this, that um, the economics will work out and um, we it's a, a genuine kind of uh, sustainable uh, development that can be used elsewhere? Diesel's not going to be sustainable, and I think we all appreciate that. We can't keep on going um, and burning fossil fuels, so we have to look at a zero emission future. There are challenges with any technology, whether that's hydrogen or whether that's electric, and we will be looking to do a combination of both. So we will be looking to do both hydrogen and electric in our business, um, because there'll be certain routes suitable for electric, there'll be certain routes suitable for hydrogen. But if you look at Surrey, a lot of the routes we need to do are long distance, needing the range of the vehicles. That's where hydrogen comes in. We need to make it scalable. Right. And, and, and the, the range, you just you range, you said you could get 500 miles. It is superb. A right. 37 kilogram tank, right. the driver that's driving at the right style, we will have 500 miles from a, um, from a fill in the vehicle, right. which gives us comparity, compa well, comparative capacity with diesel, which right. is a really important thing. We're not having to put more resource in to provide the same timetable. Well, Ed and Matt, thank you. That's um, fantastic stuff. I'm sure our listeners will be uh, uh, really interested in, um, in what is a pioneering development. So thank you very much for being on Calling All Stations. Thank you. That was really interesting, Christian. So are you now a convert to the cause of the hydrogen-powered bus? Well, I think there's still issues about this because, of course, it's where you get the hydrogen from. And uh, Matt Furness from Surrey was very strong about the fact that you know they want to use green hydrogen um, and uh, that means basically that hydrogen that's created in a sustainable way so you can get it from food waste or you can get it from uh, excess energy that you've created with wind power and then you, you transfer that into uh, batteries that they're or the opposite batteries in fact which break down water into hydrogen and oxygen um, but, uh, you know, I remain sceptical about how ultimately green it is, because you do use an awful lot of energy uh, to produce uh, the hydrogen. So although the emissions at the point of use are zero, you have to create the hydrogen. But nevertheless, I must say, I, while not being a total convert yet, I do see that there is uh, a lot of worth in having experiments uh, like the one uh, firm that Metrobus is undertaking and indeed I travelled in one of these buses and they are very smooth and, and very quiet and uh, uh, you know they're, they're, they're definitely kind of uh, an improvement on the old diesel so uh, let's look at this and um, you know give it kind of uh, uh, you know two claps rather than three perhaps. There have been yes. more developments in recent days on the fallout from the UK government's decision to cancel the sections of HS2, the new high-speed rail line north of Birmingham. Christian, the House of Commons Public Accounts Committee has made some findings, hasn't it? Uh, yes, and they're uh, pretty damning. I mean, basically, they say there's no coherent plan behind this. 
uh, that uh, this uh, cutback was really uh, imposed on uh, the Department for Transport with no proper assessment of what should replace that uh, part of the line, what the impacts are. And indeed, while it kind of says that there is still a positive cost benefit, in other words, the benefits are either £1.10 to £1.80 for every pound spent, they only get to that figure by including what would be the cost of cancelling the whole thing and stopping it here and now, which they estimated at £11 billion. And they, they put that in now as a benefit of continuing with the, with the scheme, which is now going to cost something like £67 billion just for uh, the, the, the part between Old Oak Common and Curzon Street in Birmingham, the Aston to Acton shuttle, as I've named it. So uh, it, it's, it's really uh, a complete mess, which... The Labour government, and we're assuming that there will be a Labour government or whatever government it is after the election, is going to have to sort out in some sort of coherent way because it can't just leave this little bit of shrinking line uh, hardly connected to the rest of the network, uh, having cost an absolute fortune and not really doing much good. So um, the, I must say, I've, I've read many damning reports from the Public Accounts Committee, and that's up there in the Premier League of these uh, reports. Of course, we've also seen in the last few day, days the pressures on the Labour Party in, in relation to its future investment and spending plans with the cancellation of the promised £28 billion. Was it per year or was it per year, halfway through per the year. Parliament? Originally per year, then halfway through the Parliament and now greatly downscaled for a green economic transformation. So I suppose we have to see any manifestation of HS2 in that context as well. Absolutely. Now, uh, oddly enough, the £28 billion had very little about uh, transport in it. And one could certainly argue, although I think uh, you know I might uh, dispute that, you one could argue that any spending on HS2 is essentially a, a green policy. But actually, when you read the details about uh, HS2, you find out that actually there's very marginal environmental benefits because most of the users are probably going to be existing rail users who are just transferring from uh, actually an environmentally more sustainable form of transport. So uh, nevertheless, I, I think it would be canny of the Labour Party at least to present some of this spending that they're going to have to make um, as being part of uh, their, their green strategies. And moreover, I think that if they win the election, they're going to have to look at improving the situation between uh, Hansacre Junction, which is just north of Birmingham, and Crewe. As uh, Jim Steer in our previous uh, podcast emphasised, that is the absolute crucial bit that needs to be built, as does uh, the section between Old Oak Common and Euston, because without those two sections, it's not a very useful line. So I'm sure this is a subject we're going to be returning to uh, a hell of a lot uh, on this podcast, because there's so many questions needing to be answered. You were kind enough to invite me to a very interesting event last week at the Cavalry and Guards Club in London's Piccadilly 
where you were making a presentation on some of the key elements of your forthcoming book, The Liberation Line. Would you like to explain to our loyal listeners where you are with the book and what's uh, in it and when we might see it? Uh, well, it's uh, at the finishing stages. I'm just uh, uh, editing the final proofs. It's due to go to the printers in a, a couple of weeks' time and will be published uh, early in May. And uh, I must say, I was uh, I was honoured and flattered to be asked to give this talk at the uh, Cavalry and Guards Club because uh, it was to an audience of very senior uh, defence people, senior army people, uh, the second permanent secretary of the department, uh, the Ministry of Defence was there, and, and all sorts of other people kind of uh, who know a lot more about military matters uh, than I do. But the basic thesis of the book uh, is that here is a bunch of completely forgotten people, the railway men who rebuilt the lines, the rail lines after D-Day to enable uh, the troops uh, to continue through France and into Belgium and Holland and eventually uh, Germany. And without their efforts, uh, certainly the war would have been prolonged and it might well have not been possible even to win it because uh, the railways carried something like two thirds of the war material. There's all sorts of things that you really can't take on the roads like uh, tanks and heavy uh, guns and, and the like. Um, and in fact, uh, injured casualties were taken on the railways. Something like 200,000 uh, injured soldiers were taken in ambulance trains because the roads were too bad uh, for road ambulances. So the railways played an absolutely amazing part in uh, the final stages of the war. And uh, we had about 7,000 more engineers and the Americans had about 30 5,000 uh, engineers in, in railway battalions uh, kind of doing this work. And they've been completely forgotten about. There are no books about them. There's no reference to them in many of the uh, books about D-Day. There's numerous literature about D-Day, of course. And uh, these people have been totally forgotten. And the more I explored this story over the last uh, 18 months as I was writing it, uh, the more I found out about uh, their heroic exploits, about the vital nature of the work they were undertaking. And so um, hopefully when the book comes out, which is timed actually to come out at uh, just before uh, the 80th anniversary of D-Day, uh, I hope that um, you know their uh, deeds will be uh, widely recognised. And indeed, Mark, uh, I'm very proud that... Um, the charity which organized the talk at the Cavalry and Guards has invited me to, to lead a, a cycle uh, ride around the beaches uh, for three days after, on June the 6th and the next couple of days, um, with uh, looking at the various sites, and, and I'll be uh, giving a couple of talks. And indeed, if anybody wants to join me on this, uh, uh, they only just have to raise money for... Uh, the charity, which is the Soldiers, Sailors, Airmen and Families Association, SAFA, uh, which is one of the key uh, armed forces charities. Just get in touch with me and I'll put you on to uh, uh, the SAFA and uh, you can sign up and cycle around with me. So uh, there's an offer that I hope some of you accept. We'll put the link to SAFA on our X account so that uh, listeners can find that for themselves.
absolutely yes uh, i'm i'm uh, i've been asked to, i've got some special material social uh, uh, for social media and uh, yes we'll put that on the on the uh, uh, i still call it twitter mark but the x account here's christian's final thought from the departure lounge well uh, i came across a, an article which i should have spotted uh, uh, at the end of the year cuz it came out at the end of the year about the end of uh, the uh, Hyperloop uh, program that was uh, sponsored by Richard Branson and Elon Musk and raised some $450 million uh, to uh, fund it. And of course, I've always been totally skeptical about Hyperloop. Hyperloop, listeners may remember, was going to be bringing uh, people uh, between places at, you know, six, 700 miles an hour. They were going to travel in. Uh, you know, rather like uh, those sort of vacuum tubes that, uh, that shops, uh, older listeners might remember these in department stores, you'd, you'd kind of uh, put your 20 quid uh, in one and then you'd uh, send it along and then you'd get uh, your change back, kind of whisk along these kind of vacuum tubes. And the Hyperloop was supposed to be like that. And there were all sorts of schemes that were being promoted. Estonia was going to get linked with Sweden with a a hyperloop underneath the Baltic, and there was going to be one between San Francisco and Los Angeles and so on. And yet the technology has just proved too expensive. Uh, the business case is absolutely not viable because these pods that they're going to use can only carry about 30 or 40 uh, people. So as, as a concept, it just wasn't viable. And I now discover that uh, at the end of the year, they were actually dismantling the test program that was uh, in the southern United States. And uh, basically, it's pretty much the end of uh, any idea that this Hyperloop thing is going to be the transport revolution that was promised. So that's my thought from the departure lounge. Calling All Stations, the transport podcast with Christian Walmart is produced by Cogitamus Limited a leading provider of public affairs consultancy services in the sector. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, please consider giving us a five-star rating with whichever platform you use. Do also follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. Our handle is at AllStationsPod.